Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the Biome Podcast. I'm Roby and this is... And I'm Emma. (laughs) Okay, a little overlap there, but we're fine. We're going to roll with it. Um, And today we're going to talk to you about a UK conservation story. Uh, the crisis or the crisis of no the water vole crisis that's a good way to good way to describe it um emma what is a water vole and what is the crisis so yeah um i think a lot of us might not have seen a water vole in the wild i have not um yeah i i think i maybe saw one once or didn't you see one on the field field course where you're like oh my goodness the water vole Oh, yeah. But, well, when I say I saw it, I saw a splash in the water, which was too small for an otter. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's the thing. That's what you're likely to... If you do see one or hear one, it's likely to be kind of that splash in the water. And the reason that you might not see one is because they are one of Britain's fastest declining mammals. I think they've been lost from, like, 90% of their former range. So that's figures from the 1900s. And they are massively, massively declining. Um, so before I get carried away about what's going on with waterfalls, I will say what one is. Yes, what is a waterfall? <laughs> because you, uh, when I think of a waterfall, I think of Ratty from Wind in the Willows. That's exact. That's him. That's that's waterfall. Which is odd because Ratty, you would have thought, would be a rat, but yeah, I feel like confusing name. But wildlife people do that a lot and are very confusing. I mean, um, as 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 the noted zoologist Rihanna once said, a rat is a rat. But anyway, what are water Noted zoologist. Hmm, <laughs> interesting, Roby. What are water voles? Tell us about the water voles. Okay, so I'll throw in a Latin name because Roby loves his yes! Latin names. Um, <laughs> so they are Arvicola amphibious. Nice. Um, interesting, which I think links to their semi-aquatic kind of lifestyle that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're rodents. Um, so they look... Actually, I'll do a comparison with rats just so that people can kind of get know how they're different from rats. Um, so water voles kind of have this chubby, almost chip-lunk, chip-lunk, chipmunk-like <laughs> face, <laughs> um, with these small rounded ears, whereas rats will have this long, slender snout and they have much larger ears. And actually um, you should be able to see this comparison on your screens now. So on the left we have a water vole and on the right we have a rat. So we can edit that in. <laughs> And so if you see them in the water, both rats and water voles can swim. Um, but water voles will be kind of floating a bit higher up in the water, whereas rats are more kind of, they actually sink into the water layer. What's some other differences? Oh, their, their tail, that's another one. So water voles have a, a furry tail, whereas rats will have a long scaly tail. Um, so there are quite a few differences um, between them. The rat is obviously larger the water vole is smaller. Yeah, how big um, is a water vole? It can be 22 centimetres long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to think in centimetres. It's like that, isn't it? Maybe 22 centimetres? Yeah, that I'd say like 30 centimetres is like that. So yeah. probably, yeah, so quite small. Yeah. Um, I think they weigh up to like 300 grams. So yeah. Not as very... much as a cave bear. <laughs> just, just not by much like just a bit smaller i mean they're both brown and fluffy yeah so. you know <laughs> and vegetarian cave bears um, water voles what's the difference because <laughs> yeah that's another thing about water voles that they they eat a lot so they are almost entirely herbivorous so they'll eat things like reeds and 
grasses and nettles and things like that and they can eat around 80% of their body weight in food every day so yeah a bit like me during winter (laughs) yeah (laughs) just nibbling on a bunch of reeds in your garden (laughs) yeah that's what I'm about (laughs) so water voles the name is fairly self-explanatory they're voles which are about water that's kind of where they go um so they've got quite a large paleoarctic eurasian range so from the uk and the west of the range all the way to siberia and i think they're found as far north as the arctic which i guess is where the water starts freezing so not very good if you're a waterfall and as far <laughs> south as iran which is where there wow, starts to be that, that's a massive not range much water. <laughs> yeah um and they're a typical kind of freshwater wetland species so rivers streams wet ditches ponds marshes apparently they're quite like a nice slow flowing water current maybe quite still water they're not as strong swimmers as otters they don't have quite such marine adaptation so they don't like a fast sorry a fast flowing uh, uh river or stream system um and part of this is also reflected in their habitat in terms of where they live so they burrow into reed banks uh, and river banks uh, and so they need a nice slow flowing stream so they're not just kind of washed out of their out of out of their burrows um uh whenever the whenever the water rises and this is probably i would imagine you're going to tell us a bit more about the threats they face but this is the kind of angle that they get hit on their habitat is just going yeah their their habitat is one of the biggest reasons why they have declined massively so so you don't just have to listen to me rambling. Um, <laughs> we're going to pull up a mind map. Um, so hopefully people can visualize that a bit better. So I'd say probably the two biggest reasons why they've declined so much, like drastic, drastic declines. One of them, like you were saying, Roby, has been habitat loss. So you've got kind of intensification of farming practices. You've got um, livestock that are coming right up to the water's edge to graze. And obviously, like we were saying with... Um, kind of the the reed beds and the the moors and kind of the river edges they need that cover not only mm. as a f- food source but also from predators yeah as um, shelter i bet yeah um and because you've got they've got other predators so things like owls raptors red foxes um mustelids um and i guess so- i guess that's something to note that if you are a, a kind of a, a mid-sized rodent living in the countryside everything is a predator so you really can't afford a big a big human impact to suddenly whack you on the head when already owls birds of prey foxes what otters i'm sure otters will probably take a waterfall everything eats you yeah i mean we'll come back to the main thing that eats them which is a problem um but kind of what you were saying about the the human side of things Mm. i mean we've touched on this so much just how our own behaviors are having a negative impact so with waterfalls you've got things like pollution of waterways which is obviously affecting them they're very small they will kind of be able to they'll take up a lot of toxins or or contaminants and things like that which is obviously dangerous um a big problem as well has been increased kind of housing development and the construction of transportation networks um so this is actually a big role for e- um, ecological consultants mm-hmm. because they are legally protected. Mm. Um, it means it's illegal to to harm, kill, um, disturb, things like that, a- any aspect relating to waterfalls and their habitats. And so if there is a housing proposal or a transport link planned and that happens to overlap with waterfall territory, they then have to move 
the water voles from that site. It's illegal to keep going with um, with the construction. Well, at least that's um, good. At least they've got that legislative protection there. And so, you know, it's not just that they're being destroyed and no one's noticed. Like, we, we, do, we do try at least to protect them. And I, I'm sure the canalisation of rivers will also also have an effect every we podcast we talk do, about that always the canalization of rivers but yeah you really shouldn't canalize your rivers guys everything lives in the riverbanks like water bowls and also with the riverbanks an issue is when they silt the river so if there's a risk of flooding and they're kind of clearing out the river it's important that people only clear out the middle bit because okay. obviously if they start to clear out the the sides and the banks and that will destroy um the bank mm. um yeah the what, am I tr- what word am I looking for? The burrows, that's the bu- it. <laughs> the burrows. <laughs> Destroy the burrows. So there's that. And then, like you're saying, though, it's quite positive that there's some efforts to try and um, mitigate the negative effects on them. But then ultimately, if you have a big housing development mm. or transport links, that's going to separate colonies. Mm. And so if you can't have this mixing then we've done this on our course quite a lot about how you can get lots of inbreeding, you can get kind of genetic bottlenecks in a way, which is equally dangerous. And I assume being a being like a riverside species, they rely on connective, connected water, river or stream systems in order to disperse between populations. They Like a water vole won't just cross a high street to get from A to B. So a big development can, even if it doesn't harm water voles, directly if you put a big development between two adjacent river systems you've effectively i think cut cut those two populations off so there's going to be no genetic flow between the two yeah i think that that's a big danger so it's something that needs to be addressed and then so the main one which i've left to a last because (laughs) is the um probably what's threatening them the most along with habitat degradation is predation by the american mink so lovely this is a (laughs) it's a new threat which has been introduced by humans um so they were brought in from north so this is the mink not waterfalls the american mink (laughs) over from the from north america um funny that to be (laughs) i know crazy (laughs) i would have never have guessed (laughs) um to be part of the fur industry Mm. um so it's these massive fur farms with american mink and they were either released or escaped and because they're not native, um, before the water voles were able to, if they were being attacked by a predator, they could just jump into the water and that was their means of escape. Or they could go into their burrow and things like red foxes, badgers, they can't follow them. But the thing is with American mink, they're very small. Like you, you've you seen what a mink looks like. It's kind of very... Yeah. Very slender. Sausage-like kind of almost. Yeah. Yeah. Cross between, like weasel, sausage looking. Um, but sausage they with can, teeth. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and these sausages, sausage-looking things, um, especially the females, are small enough. They, they're, so they're strong swimmers, so they can follow them in, into the water. And also they can follow them into their burrows. So they can decimate popular Because mm. there's, there's nowhere for the voles to go. If and they that's... can't even hide in their burrows, then they're going to get predated. And oh. that's quite interesting because we do have a native mink species in the UK, the European mink, but the European mink is actually larger and so can't follow the water vole into the burrow. So in a natural ecosystem, you'll have both water voles and European mink and they live in a, in a certain balance in that the mink will predate on the voles, but it will never be able to take a vole that goes into the burrow. The American mink shakes all that up because it's small enough to go into the burrow and so the system becomes unbalanced. Yeah, and that that's a... 
I mean, we're going to touch on this more on in other podcasts, but about invasive species mm. and kind of people, there's been a lot of controversy about controlling mink numbers sort of by catching or, or trapping, um, sometimes killing them as well. Um, because obviously, say, animal rights groups or activists will be like, oh, but you're, you're taking another animal's life. How is that justifiable? But then it, it has to be a balance because we've brought them in and it's now decimating ecosystems. So in my mind, I kind of feel like that that's a time for us to step in and intervene. I would say that it is justifiable. I'm going to go out there and say that as, you know, a passionate zoologist, I think that if, you know, if, if the option is, okay, we don't control the mink and we, the invasive mink and we let them live, we risk losing an entire native species. Um, American mink are not endangered in their native habitats in North America. They're doing absolutely fine there. They are a plague here on native species and this isn't some kind of weird oh we need to protect british species like not not at all is what that's what i'm saying but when you have a native species getting under underneath these massive declining pressures you know we risk losing much more than we understand and so i think we have a responsibility to control american mink which are our own fault that we have unleashed on the ecosystem yeah no i fully agree and i think that's a really good point saying how we don't fully understand the effects that things can have on an ecosystem so that is part of the reason why we need to conserve water voles as well because we don't fully understand what the effect is going to be if they do go extinct so i think someone put it really nicely it was someone from the essex wildlife trust i think saying that it's like wildlife jenga so (laughs) if you remove a piece or you remove a species say that is the water vole you have no idea what the consequences are going to be further down the line. It might be okay. Your Jenga tower might still be standing and it's fully functional, but we've probably all played Jenga. It can come <laughs> crashing down. And so I think that's why we we don't understand enough to to compromise yeah. losing it. And I mean, the thing with the water voles, you've got you've the, the two things which should spring to mind immediately, Not me not being an expert on water voles, is okay well if you lose the waterfalls then you lose a substantial food source for owls kestrels falcons uh buzzards foxes badgers otters and all of those species are under their own pressures and really can't afford to lose a a food source especially in times like winter and also if they have this effect of you know burrowing into uh riverside banks and they also have this effect of 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 controlling riverside vegetation then uh, you know i'd worry that the health of our rivers would be threatened by overgrowth of 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 the banks which might i don't know destabilize them i'm not an expert but those are the kind of impacts that you might expect to see um so obviously this is quite a serious issue. Is, is, is work being done on it? How are we... What, what, what's our response? What are we doing? <laughs> so luckily, this quite positive side of things that there has been quite a good response to water vole conservation. And I don't agree with this side of conservation, but if something is cute and small and fluffy and gives you that R factor, <laughs> then people are likely to care about it. And luckily for the water vole, it is one of those cute and fluffy things that people do they are charismatic and people want to want to conserve them so i'll sort of start maybe i'll start small and then go bigger so kind of with individuals i could i could start with kind of what you could do as an individual and what individuals are doing 
Um, so there's loads of surveys now that you can you can be a part of. So you can be a water vol surveyor, which I think would Ooh. be pretty cool. <laughs> I think we should do that, Roby. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so that's usually with the local wildlife trusts. And there's also a large scale pro- um, monitoring program called the National Water Vol Monitoring Program. Oh, I love and something like that. Yeah, I think it's amazing when it all feeds into each other. And mm. there's this brilliant, um, let me just find it. So it's the National Water Bowl Database and Mapping Project. Oh, I love a database. Um, and it's it's really extensive. So what they're doing with this particular mapping project is they're combining American mink and water vol data points and recordings and sightings and things like that. So what the aim is to create this geographical information system um you know i love my geographical <laughs> information systems for the record um, emma is hella into gis mapping which is amazing yeah. i think i w- i want to get better at it so i can map balls <laughs> um but so what they're doing by combining these mink and water vole sightings and sort of data points into this huge map what they have done is they're able to create what's called alert maps so then they can target areas that would be suitable for things like habitat restoration to restore areas that oh, would be good cool. for water voles or um, areas that would be good for increasing connectivity between populations. And then also by having the mink data in there as well, what that does is you don't want to release a bunch of water voles into an area where there's a bunch of mink. That would so be a bad idea. It would be a very bad record. idea. <laughs> that would be lunch for the mink (laughs) so even if you are studying one particular species i think it's really important that you do consider sort of the wider knock-on effects so you do need to consider the mink you do need to consider the vegetation when we're talking about waterfalls um so yeah i thought that the mapping project sounded incredible that sounds Um, amazing and there's also quite a lot of ecological consultancy going on with water voles, as I understand. So Derek Gow Consultancy, who's quite a leading figure in um, kind of wetland ecosystem restoration, I think hasn't he set up like the largest breeding centre for water voles in the UK, captive breeding for, for them to then be released? Yeah, no, it's, he's, Derek Gow is amazing. Like we've talked about him in, in regards to beavers recently. Mm. But um, he's one of the leading specialists in kind of breeding, housing, and then rehabilitating water voles in the UK. And I think it's something like he's released over 25,000 water voles in the time that he's been working with them. Um, And so I think he did a big collaboration as well with the Essex Wildlife Trust, Mm -hmm. where they kind of came together and formed a large population of water voles, which could then be released Oh, that's um, cool. And I assume that's got quite a nice nice genetic diversity if they're merging their water yeah. bottles. Yeah, so it's all very carefully managed how they're being bred. And there is another really cool organisation called Wildwood, um, which they're the, the um, bison people. Ah, the bison people. Yeah. yeah. We love the bison people. So not only are they involved in this new bison project that's coming up which we're not going to say about because you're going to hear about that later (laughs) um but so what they do they are really really key with water vole reintroduction and rehabilitation so they work alongside ecological consultants so what they do is if there is a project going ahead that might be damaging to water voles or their habitat they will keep them in this quarantine area um and so they've got 
the perfect kind of enclosures for them, everything they need. They have thorough health checks and things when they arrive. And if they do end up having to stay longer than anticipated, they will use them to be part of their captive breeding program. So oh, that's cool. That's good. Yeah. I think it's amazing because they're just building up this kind of source of water voles that can then be released when once the habitat becomes suitable. So they, they are doing some really, really really great work and um they offer training courses and things like that it's not just them it's kind of engaging the wider community um to be part of it as well with surveys and things which is yeah that's fantastic i love i love a nice integrated well-organized well thought out conservation project which deals with both habitat and the animals and genetics and make sure that's all good I i love that because you know you do hear stories about conservation gone wrong like the uh Italians released tried to reintroduce links in Grand Paradiso and they introduced two and they were both male and they were both brothers so that didn't work <laughs> but it looks like these voles have got some really good people behind them and some really good work behind them so that's probably quite a nice positive place to wrap up on this one do you think yeah I think there's a lot more that people are doing on voles like I'm sorry if I haven't given everyone credit for all the awesome <laughs> work that they're doing with voles but um yeah, well, as usual, we'll share the links to where we got this information from. And there's some really, really great resources about vole, water vole conservation. Um, and you can be a part of that as well. There's a big scheme of if you see one, um, it's important that you kind of map it and you can take a picture of it or report it where you saw it. And that's vital data for kind of the future of their conservation. So yeah, And you can probably get involved with that through your local wildlife trust. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of wildlife trusts yeah. are doing that. Yeah. Um, the other place is NBN Atlas, which is a very good place, which I use quite a lot for research uh, in order to like find the find where recent sightings of species have been. That's a really cool cool asset and resource as well. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Biome Podcast with me, Roby, and Emma. And yeah, so if you want to stay up to date with um, what we're doing with co- podcasts that are coming up, you can look for the Biome Podcast on YouTube and at biome by grizzly on instagram and then also we'll be posting stuff about various cool research topics as we're making these podcasts so we are emma hodson wildlife and roby watkinson wildlife on instagram yeah so yeah thanks so much for listening (laughs) and we will see you next time see you next time bye